Randall Banter with Larry and Duff. Joined today by, is it Providence College? Providence College product, manager of UNC Asheville baseball team, Scott Friedholm. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. It's going well. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah. Yeah, This will probably air a couple days after that, but... Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on how good this is, so that's how we threaten our guests. This will probably be deleted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... How is it that you guys know each other? So, are we? Is it brother-in-law? Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know the terminology here, but you married my sister's, my my wife's sister. So, I don't have a sister. You married your sister? <laughs> I think that's how it works, right? <laughs> no, we are brother-in-laws um, through the Nelson family. Yeah. Uh, Joanna Nelson was well, now Joanna Duff, and Angie Nelson is now Angie Friedholm. Did you ever tell him what we were going to do with the um, in-laws episode? Yeah, we. I think we're we're kicking this around. It's going to be me, you, and Mikey's wife, Ange. Yes. And just I'm explain. already in. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Let's go. Excuse my language. Whatever. <laughs> I'm in. Swear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew's here right now, so we probably could do a little spinoff too. There's probably some interesting stories how the three of us just kind of sit back and just let the Nelsoning happen. Let it just just watch and take it all in, and probably sell some tickets to we it. Probably, some nights. We actually was it. It was last Christmas. Did we did we christen that uh, that quote when all all five of them were in the kitchen? trying to do one menial task and everybody else is outside just looking at it. And this is the small, this is a small kitchen that, that everybody's trying to, I don't know, clean a dish or, or set the table. And it was, we just looked over like, what is wrong with you? Like everybody's so nice. They want to help, but it's just pure chaos. Exactly. Yeah. They, they all need their hands in a little bit of something. Sure. sure. Rather than just back out and join the outlaws and have a beer with us. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more relaxing on that side of the. Yes, and you guys are already getting ready to do some construction here. Are we doing construction? Oh, oh, oh at the Airbnb. Oh, yes, at the Airbnb. Oh, yeah. yes. oh we, that's uh, at the Airbnb. Oh, yes. I thought that was here. No, no, no. no. Uh, we're going to try to yeah. fix the Airbnb for the guy that we're renting from. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a curtain rod that's already down. Yeah. Do you know oh. how to replace any screens? <laughs> yes, I do actually. Yeah, okay. I can help. Perfect. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Just got to get the gasket with the roller. Yeah. A little yeah, cleanup necessary, but all good. Uh, we'll be good. We're all together, Nelsoning and yeah. outlaw Nelsoning. Get a couple beers and everybody. It'll be it'll be a brand yeah. new house by the time you guys. Oh, check I don't out. drink. Oh no, no, yeah. you don't drink. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> As he's got a beer in front of him yeah. there. <laughs> As Johnny Cash said, I don't drink anymore. I just don't drink any less. Right. Uh, so yeah, getting to know Scott, I've probably known him. Um, I, I pretty much met you really early on dating Joanna. Like we pretty much just. Um, I think we told the story a few weeks ago about how my family made up the story that she had a, a son. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but we'll, we'll tell you offline on that. But that didn't go out that well, but that started the first month that I was dating her. I don't <laughs> so, know that story. So, uh, but yeah, I got to meet the, the Nelson family, I think, pretty quick. We yes. started dating around Thanksgiving and by Christmas. You um, were up. Yep, uh, visiting the family. So. Yep. But uh, getting to know Scott, you know, he's definitely lived an interesting life, still is living an interesting life now. Sure. I'm not trying to say that in the past. <laughs> You're pretty boring now. Let's <laughs> just step it up. Probably makes sense to start at the beginning. So with conception, can you, uh, I'm kidding, um, but uh, knowing uh, you're very, you know, you got a, a big athletic past. Uh, I know in high school you played a couple sports, but just wanted yep. to get into that. I grew up the youngest of five, four boys, one sister. There was eight years between the five of us. So there was, uh, we joked that we were an Irish 
Boston Irish Catholic family that obviously my parents didn't have cable when we were growing up, so nothing else to do. So we just kept having, they just kept having kids. But yeah, being the youngest of five, you know, you just try to keep up yeah. with your older brothers, with your older sister. And, uh, you know, my sister is probably the most athletic out of all of us. Uh, she was second in line. She was an All-American soccer player at Columbia University in New York. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and so everything we did, my brother Greg played baseball in college at Colgate University. Uh, my brother Carl played some soccer at Bryant. So we all did different things. So just growing up, we, we were playing soccer, hockey, baseball, anything that we could get our hands on as far as uh, – competing we did yeah. uh, the only sport we weren't allowed to play was football dad thought that was dangerous but all four boys had to play hockey because that was his <laughs> favorite sport so we all grew up playing hockey okay. and yeah the you know the the local families and, and us we used to build a nice rink in the backyard and growing up in boston you know uh, my brother still has his living in boston and his nice. kids his four kids have their rink in their backyard so sure. you know hockey was the way i thought i was going to go that was um, the favorite as a younger it was the one I was the worst at, so I spent the most time doing it Okay. because they were better than me and I wanted to catch up with them. So that was the one that I became passionate because I needed to practice the most at it. And I eventually ended up going to prep school, big thing in Boston. Sure. I did a prep year at Taft for hockey, but ended up playing baseball and soccer there as well and had a choice to make out of there between University of Vermont for hockey or Providence College for baseball and I realized that I was probably a little bit better at baseball and it was a little less taxing on the body. Wasn't getting beat up all the time. So, sure. um, plus Vermont. Yeah. Well, and then <laughs> you're right. No, that's what, that was it. And I, I stepped foot on campus at Providence college. It was my third visit. I've already gone to Vermont. I had gone to one other and I went to Providence and I got back in the car and I told my mom, that's where I was going to go to school. There it is. And they didn't make any offers yet. I said, I'll just figure it out. I knew I wanted to go play for that coach and be on that campus. Nice. Uh, so that that decision was easy. And then after Providence, were you, were, you always a were you always a catcher? No, I was a I was a uh, shortstop in high school uh, until my senior year. Uh, and then our coach came to me and said, "We don't have a catcher. Could someone catch?" And I said, "I would try it," uh, and ended up loving it, just because you're in it a whole lot more than you are as a shortstop. Um, ended up loving it and then was fortunate enough to be able to be the, a catcher at that extra year of the prep year. And then uh, Paul Costacopoulos, so the head coach at Providence College, got a chance to see me the summer before. And what I loved about him was he actually came to watch me play a hockey game at Taft. And, uh, and then he and I went and had dinner uh, in the cafeteria on campus. And we just ended up talking for about two hours. What position did you play in hockey? Defense. Defense. Yeah. So... I think the transition from shortstop to catcher doing it that late made me enjoy my career too. And also made me keep working because I wasn't burnt out as a catcher. Yeah. You know, my, I've never yeah. had any knee problems or anything. I only caught for six or seven years over the long stretch of things. So when I, when I played baseball, when I was younger, man, I was all through, I was outfield pretty much the whole time. And then when I got to 13 and we go to the bigger field uh, off of the little league field, I became a catcher and man, did I love catching. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a game changer. Yeah. You know, it's such it, a different experience, you know, being the guy who, you know, when you're in younger ball, not a lot of kids hit the ball to the outfield. And then as yep. you get, you know, a little bit older, you're just chasing a ball around. Now you're, you're like the center of the attention. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> you know, it's, People talk about major league managers, and a lot of them are catchers. Whoa. And someone actually once said it to me after maybe my first or second year, we're the only ones looking 
at the field yeah where everybody else is looking yeah. at the hitter we're looking at what everybody else is doing right so like a lot of times a shortstop has no idea what the second baseman or third baseman or first baseman are doing on set plays where we as catchers see what they're doing and what they need to do and where they need to go so a lot of times that makes it a little bit easier for us as the manager to explain or show where people need to go right um even though we may not have played those positions exactly yeah I ended up back in the outfield though in high school and varsity ball. So <laughs> hey, everyone needs an outfielder. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, uh, you see how I look now. <laughs> I didn't look quite this way then, but it started. This is around when you met me. Um, I ended up my my uh, senior year in baseball as the third base coach. I don't know what to say. That was a that was aggression. I'm so sorry. There, I peaked my sophomore year in high school. <laughs> How lazy yeah. was your coach Here's that he this. sent you out there and not even go there himself? Third base coach. But, yeah, he, you know what? You you yell a lot. You go there. I'll stand over here. <laughs> Were you in the Cape Cod League or no? Uh, yes. I played basically a year and a half. Um, after my freshman year at Providence College, I was invited down as a temp player. Uh, I went down for three weeks in Chatham until a lot of the players from, like, Team USA started coming back. I didn't play a lot as a freshman at Providence. The guy in front of me, Bobby O'Toole, who ended up being my really good friend. We were roommates uh, on the road. He was the Big East player of the year. He had 21 home runs and drafted by the Orioles. So I got a chance to watch him play a lot uh, as a freshman. And that summer, Chatham invited me down to be a temp player until everyone got there. And they said, hey, you can stay if you want. You can be our third catcher. And I actually said, I, I can't do that. I need to play baseball. Yeah. Um, and I actually went to Great Scott in the Parks League of Boston. It's an adult league with a bunch of 35-year-old guys and former players and guys just out of college. And uh, it was funny. I was just talking to somebody about this. My assistant, that's where I really learned the game of baseball. Talking to a 35, 40-year-old that doesn't have his quite have his fastball still, but is still getting people yeah. out. And, and uh, you know, these guys kind of took me under their wing. I was the youngest kid on that team. I was 19. The next one closest to me was like 24, just out of college. And, mm. you know, I can say this, my mom knows now, but a lot of times after the games, I, well, I tell her I'm sitting in the parking lot chalking baseball. We weren't in the parking lot. We were at Great Scott's <laughs> going to have a beer or something. And they kind of took me under their wing and we would just sit and talk baseball and a little bit of life after there. I give a lot of credit to those guys for accepting me being a young player. Yep. But um, And then the year after my sophomore year, uh, I was fortunate that I had a decent year, and Chatham invited me back, uh, and I was able to play my sophomore year for them. I would so. always – I didn't know that there wasn't, like, an eligibility issue because isn't the Cape Cod League considered semi-pro? No, it's um, – it is only college athletes. Oh, okay. So you All have right. to have – you have to have one year of eligibility left. Okay. to be playing there um, and a lot of times like after my junior year they didn't sign me because they thought I was going to get drafted so I didn't get a chance to go back and play and I ended up getting injured a little bit my junior year so I didn't have quite have the year that I would hope for and I completely understand like because 17 of the 20 guys or whatever the number was on our team got drafted um, nice. and, and you know some of my buddies had a chance to play professionally and make it all the way up so it was good anybody nice. you uh, like in that era that you cross paths with um i know nomar's around your age and played in the I cape cod league that old? I think nomar's <laughs> older than me man. no Good no no, no he's no, isn't he know. like late 40 uh, how old are you i don't even know i apologize i'm for 28, assuming. I'm 28. <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> no um so the story i always tell people 
and you guys might be too young, um, but there was a closer for the Detroit Tigers named Matt Anderson, and he was the first big-time closer. He was the first one to get a huge deal. He was the first one to throw 100 miles an hour, and he was the closer for us in Chatham. Funny story, if we have time. So Matt Anderson was on Team USA. Didn't make it. He played at Rice University. Didn't make it, so he drove in in his Mustang and shows up in Chatham. I've been hearing all about this kid, Matt Anderson, coming to pitch, and he throws 100 and yada, yada, yada. So the, the eighth inning rolls around, and I either make the last out in the eighth or I'm on base for the last out. So we go out to the top of the ninth. We're, we're winning, and we bring in Matt Anderson. So I'm getting dressed, and he takes his warm-up pitches, and you guys know the last pitch <laughs> – the pitcher throws of warm They just lob it in. They don't yeah. care. So he lobs it in. I throw it down. And I go out and, uh, you know, we didn't even know what he throws. He was a, he, I go fastball slider, fastball curveball. He goes uh, fastball slider, no changeup. I said, okay, so one, one three. He goes, yeah, that's perfect. So uh, first hitter was a left-handed hitter. I call fastball away. I set up away. And he throws a 99-mile-an-hour fastball in the inner black by me, by the umpire, and by the hitter <laughs> to the backstop. <laughs> Swear to God. And I was like, holy oh. shit, I've never caught 100 before, but that's what it looks like. There it is. It's hard to see, but there it is. Checking for so, exit wounds. Ironically, he waves me out. And he goes, hey, catch. Doesn't know my name. No idea who I am. He goes, hey, catch. Could you just set up in the middle? Because I'm not really sure where it's going right now. So I go back. I'm like, holy smokes. So I say to the umpire, just loud enough so the hitter can hear me. He just told me to set up in the middle because he's not really sure where this is going for right now, right? And I'm like, the umpire and I and the hitter are all like, oh, my God. So uh, 12 pitches later, he's walked the bases loaded. No joke. So I go out to him again. I said, hey, man, is there something I need to do differently? And he goes, no. I go, okay, that's it. He goes, yeah, just go back there and I'll, I'll figure it out. 11 pitches later, he struck up the side. Oh, well. No shit. Like, there it is. You figured it out. You figured it out. I'm like, okay, let's, that's cool. I love how everybody else probably is like, oh, that catcher must have been really insightful <laughs> yeah, when he went to the mound. It was the best. I, literally, this was our conversation. Anything you want me to do differently? No. <laughs> okay. But then you go back in the dugout. What'd you say to him? He went so, from walking the bases. got to be a genius. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Matt was there. Uh, my best friend there was Seth Etherton, uh, who was the pitcher at USC. Uh, Southern Cal. Uh, he ended up making it to the big leagues with the Reds, the Yankees. Um, our shortstop was uh, Romeo Viso. He made it to the big leagues with uh, Oakland. He went to Cal State Fullerton. And our second baseman, um, Jermaine Clark, he made it to the big leagues. He went he went to the University of San Francisco, and he made it to the big leagues, I believe, with San Francisco as well as a second baseman. So, But a lot of them made it for you know a cup of coffee. But those guys kind of had a career where they may not have had to work again, uh, which is kind of nice. Uh, Jason sure? Grabowski actually played for the Dodgers. He was the other catcher. He didn't like to catch as much, so he ended up – he liked just to hit, and he ended up moving to the outfield. Okay. Uh, and he made it to the big leagues as an outfielder. Yeah. Right fielder probably. Yeah, he was. He could really hit. So, yeah. so my knowledge of the Cape Cod League is from summer catch. So that's you know really uh, athletic of myself. That's, that's embarrassing. But you <laughs> actually just <laughs> insulted your guests right there, because <laughs> everyone thinks of that movie and they think of Chatham, and it's like, that's, oh boy. Oh, you didn't get to mow lawns for Jessica Beale's rich family that summer. <laughs> 
But no, I guess one of the things is is they have wooden bats, right? And that's all they're allowed, not not aluminum like college. Correct. So yep. was there any struggle with that? Or are you pretty much? I mean, not not a struggle with the bat. It was a struggle with the pitching. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was facing legitimate arms every single night. And the bullpen arms were even really, really good. So there was two reasons why the Cape is the best. One is because of the, the competition, the challenge. If you can prove yourself there, you got a chance to play anywhere. And we are we our little second baseman right now with UNC Asheville. Uh, and I say little, he's small, but he's the strongest kid on our team, Robbie. He's going to get a chance. He's going to go up to Harwich this summer and play. And if he has a good summer like we think he can, then he's going to give himself a chance in the draft and hopefully be a top five round or top 10 round pick. The second part why the Cape is so good, it is the exact opposite of pro ball when it comes to travel. Your longest game, your longest travel is probably 45 minutes to an hour. So as an 18 to 22 year old kid, a lot of these places don't have lights. You know, Katuit didn't have lights. Hyannis didn't have lights. Um, YD did not, doesn't have lights. So all of a sudden you're playing at four o'clock in the afternoon. You're playing a wood bat game. So it's a two hour and five minute game max. You're home after you've already eaten, done everything. Seven o'clock at eight, eight o'clock at night. And you're like, okay, now we can go out. Like and you would have a fun time down in Chatham and meet some new friends and, and enjoy your time. You know, and then you get up at, Seven o'clock in the morning, you go do your local uh, camps for the YMCA or, you know, they gave you jobs. I, I was a counselor. And then you're done by that. By one o'clock, you go home and take a nap and you get ready for your game that afternoon. It was, was kind of living the dream, to be quite honest with you. You ever been to one of those games, Larry? No. I think I went to one way back in the day. But do you, when you go back, I know you go back up to the Cape every once in a while. Do you try to make a game when you're up there? Every time. Awesome. Every time. We try to go to Chatham, too. Uh, this year when we went back, Angie and I and the boys went to... Uh, YD. Well, I'm looking at my son. Uh, we went to YD because two of our players were on YD's team. Uh, Dominic Freeberger and uh, Robbie got called there for his attempt at the right. back end of the bit. So we got a chance to go see them play. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. It's a lot intimate of fun. stadiums too. Are there even they stadiums or just no, fields? They're right? high school baseball yep. fields with the best players in the country, no yep. stands, yep. and there's no admission. Yep. And all they do is pass the hat, the, the, the bullpen pitchers, right. or they got the starting pitcher from the day before, and a, and a representative of your team literally walk around with hats, and they just ask for donations mm-hmm. to, to help support them. So it's, it's really kind of cool. And obviously, you always want to give 10 bucks or whatever. But, uh, yeah. you know, for these guys to go and watch that type of baseball at that level... And just to sit and watch and, and like they pass the bullpen and all the kids in the bullpen are talking to them. They, yeah. it, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It'll definitely bring them up in that environment and you yeah. want to, yep. Hey, that can be you in a few years, you know, if you put in the effort. Yep. So, yeah. So how did you end up? So you made it to the minor leagues. Yeah. I got picked up as a uh, free agent after my senior year, after I graduated from Providence, um, played that summer, went to instructs, did the instructs, uh, Went to spring training the following year. Thought I was on the double-A roster. Okay. And then the day before we all, I had my apartment and everything. Uh, the day before we got released to go, they called me in and said, we needed to stay for extended spring training. And we're willing to give you $10 a day. We'll pay for your, uh, we'll pay for your hotel room and we'll give you three meals. And we'll give you $10 a day. And, uh, you know, I was pretty straightforward and I don't ever second guess this decision, I actually said to him, I said, you know, I got some school loans. 
I have a car. I bought a car because I was I lived down there in the off season to get to train. And I said, I, I got some student loans. He said, Scott, you went to college? Just like that. <laughs> no idea. I said, yeah, I graduated a year and a half ago from Providence College. He goes, and they actually said, I, I remember saying, he goes, you're one of seven players in the whole system to have their college degree. Wow. And I said, he goes, Scott, if I was you, I would probably make a different decision. And I said, okay, that's all I needed to know. I'm like, yeah. um, so I, I, I was lost. You know, I've never done anything without baseball or something, hockey, soccer, whatever it was. This was 22 aged? Yeah, I was uh, 23. Yeah, 23 years old. So I packed up my, uh, I packed up my whole life in a uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse. Okay. Yep. The legendary Mitsubishi Eclipse. Eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> and I still had the front seat open. <laughs> so I, needless to say, I didn't own a lot of things. Um, and I drove to Greenville, South Carolina, where my oldest brother, Carl, had just moved to. And uh, I didn't know what to do. It was right around Easter, and uh, or right before Easter. He said, just live with us. He had a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, my niece and my nephew. He goes, just live with us. I said, what? He goes, just stay as long as you want. You don't have to leave. You don't have to do anything. So I, I lived there for about a month. Easter morning, I got up. Uh, I packed up the car. I was going home to Boston to grab my stuff, the rest of it, and come back. Mm-hmm. And I pulled in the driveway. This was before cell phones. I pulled in the driveway. My mom wasn't even sure when I was going to be coming home because it was a you know 16-hour drive. I made it in about 12 and a half, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as I pulled in the driveway, I said hello to her, and her home phone rang, and it was the head coach at Bryant College who said, hey, I heard a rumor that Scott's coming home. Would he want to get into coaching? Wow. He offered me $4,000 for the year. And uh, a place on campus if I wanted to live there, uh, a condo on campus. Uh, and I said, hell yeah, $4,000 compared to $10 bucks, a day. A better than 10 bucks a day. My math wasn't very good, but come to find out the $10 a day was about the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> three thousand. So, uh, With a college degree. <laughs> so I actually said yes. And ironically, that's where Joanna, a.k.a. Nelson back then. Madam Joanna, Zero, as we found out. Yeah. Madam Zero, Joanna now Duff, was the assistant softball coach Michael Nelson my brother-in-law mm-hmm. was the captain and shortstop on the baseball team that I was about to coach <laughs> and the very first person I met in their whole house I was out recruiting on my first day was John Nelson my father-in-law I went to a game in Worcester and he was out getting the field ready and he came up to say hello because I got there three hours early yeah. I was nervous I wanted to be there sure. and he came up and he and I started talking and I he asked me where I was from and he said Brian he said well my son's the captain there and ironically, Angie Friedholm, Angie Nelson, uh, was the last one in their whole family that I met. Wow. So that's how my story with the Nelsons came all about. So That's insane. Yeah. So I coached <laughs> Michael Nelson for two years, uh, and Joanna and I uh, were sweet mates in our office for a year and a half or two years. I think both years she was there, yeah. And then she went on and got her, she went into pro, pro ball after that. With the Rays, I think. With the was that Blue before? Jays. I didn't know if that was before the prep school or the school. It was before. You're yeah. right. She did the prep but school. Then, and then, yeah, then the she Blue came Jays. down to the Blue Jays. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's how I got introduced to the Nelson family. And Any good Nelson stories from the – I mean, I'm sure there are, but for the, for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I didn't date Angie for about um, a year and a half because I didn't want to – I met her and I, I liked her, but I didn't want to date her while Michael was still a player. Understood. So 
Michael kind of caught wind of it, and he and I and Joanna went out to lunch one day, and I said, listen, I, I think I like your sister, but I'm not going to date her while you're a player, and I don't want to do that to you. That could be... And he actually said, Freeds, if you like my sister and you don't date her, I'll get more pissed at you. <laughs> and he goes, I can handle the guys. I said, okay. I said, okay. So we actually uh, started dating. December 22nd was our first date. So, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's how we met. And, uh, and then, yeah, she's, she's crazy because I always say this to people. She started dating me when I was making $4,000 a year. I would go back to Walpole, Mass., Sunday through Thursday. I would open Mo Vaughn's. Uh, hit dog place that had a gym at 4.30 in the morning till 12 o'clock. I would drive an hour to Bryant, work from 1 to 8. John Shogren, the head coach there, would then buy me dinner at Parenti's, and I would go back to my mom's by 9.30, and my and I would go right to bed, and my alarm would go off at 3.30. And she started dating me. I'm okay. like, we would only see each other on Saturday. Friday night, I would just go to bed. I'm like, I'm exhausted. You go hang out with everybody you want to, and I'm going to bed. And then Saturday, we'd go out to dinner or go hang out with Joanna or do something like that down in uh, they, they always say that's the life of a coach, but you don't realize how early yeah. that starts. Oh, it's brutal. You know? Especially when you're not making any money. <laughs> right. yeah. And I'm still waiting to make money, but I'm, I'm hoping it's right around the corner after so, this podcast. Yeah, it's going to blow up, <laughs> maybe, man. So, so, yeah, it actually brings you to the next stop. She's traveling with you. I believe it was Maine. So yes. is it Orono, middle Orno. of Maine or upper Orno, Maine? Maine. So, <laughs> so she follows those, you up there. <laughs> for those who don't know where Orono, Maine is, uh, we were two and a half hours north of Portland, an hour and 15 minutes south of Canada. Oh. Yes. When you say, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so we went up there. Uh, we weren't married yet so she, we were making trips on the weekend and obviously it was her making a lot of the trips because we were playing or practicing uh, and it was a four and a half hour drive from Worcester Mass uh, so that's how far it is. Orno's tough. Orno's great. I loved my experience there and I don't want to ever say anything negative about the University of Maine. Orno is tough when you are 25 a young couple. Beth. There's just not a lot to do. Sure. You know um, and Angie and I have talked about it if if times were different and that job opened up and we have kids and we would live in a neighborhood and this, like Orono, Maine's a really cool city. Like when you have kids and you get stuff to do, but when you're 25 and you're looking for things to do and you don't want to go to the places that your athletes, your student athletes are going to, cause you don't want to be around them. Mm -hmm. It leaves you Brewster's in the basement of a, of a hotel <laughs> in Hamden, in yeah. Hamden, Maine. So, so I spent um, four years at the university of Maine and actually, Angie and I got married that last year. Uh, we got married October 30th um, because it was around the signing period. Mm. Fall season had ended. Signing period was the second week in November, like November 12th. And I wanted to be back from our honeymoon to make sure all the paperwork and everything got done. <laughs> so we got married time October 30th. Yes, <laughs> timing is everything. So I will give you a funny story. You asked me one about I actually got Matt Duff and Joanna Duff to change their wedding date. I don't know if Matt knows this. So, oh, can you remind me what it is, though? Please. <laughs> it's in August. It was supposed to be in April. So Joanna calls Angie. And I'm there when she calls. And she, we got engaged. That had already happened. We set the date. And Angie's, and I hear Angie say, it's April 12th, whatever the date is. And without even asking me, without skipping a beat, she goes, Scott won't be there. And Joanna says, well, Scott will miss a weekend for our wedding. She goes, no, he will not. <laughs> we got a call about a week later. We've moved it to August. Does that work? 
Uh, yeah, we can make that's August better. work. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's I changed your wedding date. Oh, You're welcome. Say, it's all good. <laughs> now, now that you say that, I do remember that. Yep. So. Yeah. I mean, we got a, we had a small wedding, and we needed Scott there. Scott's the life of the party at a wedding. Not uh, true. Not true. <laughs> and there may be some stories you want to share or share <laughs> off the mic. But <laughs> um, so yeah, so the University of Maine was great. Um, but I'll, to finish that story, so we got married my last year at Maine. Oh. The summer hits. We had a great year. Like we ended up going to Old Miss for a regional. Angie came. Her dad came for the weekend. It was awesome. Great experience. We played great. I get home that night, uh, literally, we're home for a day, and the next day I get ready to go for about a four or five day recruiting trip. And I said, okay, I'll see you in a couple days when I get back. She goes, well, I'm going home. I go, what do you mean you're going home? She goes, I'm gonna go back to Worcester. I'm not staying here by myself. I hate it here. <laughs> and I said, okay, good to know. So that summer, and this will lead into our next move, uh, that summer, uh, the head coach who I actually played for at Providence and then worked to work for at the University of Maine got offered the, the Naval Academy job. Um, and I was 28 years old and he's 29 years old actually, cause I got married at 29. He said to me, Scott, do you want to be the next head coach at the University of Maine or do you want to be the assistant at the Naval Academy? And without skipping a beat, I said, <laughs> we'll be coming to the Naval Academy yeah. because Angie, does not want to live in Ordo, man. And he kind of just started laughing. And I said, so I actually signed my contract with the Naval Academy two weeks before he did. I drove that day, signed my contract so I could get to an event in Georgia, then following day and start recruiting for the Naval Academy. Cool. Yep. And then Angie ended up having to move everybody. Yeah. That's where I've kind did of... tell her, you know, I got offered the head coaching I, I job. I don't mean to, to, to use the words, but that's where I've kind of screwed her. I just go to the next job and she is always the one that ends up moving us and, you know, but Larry, and it is hard because I am always the one that has to pick out where we're living. Right. And holy smokes, don't do that. Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like one, I'm like two for three. Once I, one of them, I really missed on, but that's okay. Well, you could have said, Hey honey, I'm the <laughs> new head coach at the university of Maine. Yeah. And then I'd be divorced. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it is what it is. So then I spent, um, Five years at the at the Naval Academy. Yeah. I heard yeah. you had a good place in Annapolis too, right? Did you love Annapolis? Loved Annapolis. Annapolis is uh, Asheville, North Carolina, with water. Uh, it's a really cool downtown. Sweet. A lot of par, uh, bars, breweries, pubs. A lot of things for all ages to do. Um, and one promise I've always made, Ange, is we are both city people. That uh, for the most part, we will always be around a city of some sort. And I realized that. That's why she didn't like Maine. Yep. There was nothing really yeah. around it uh, other than the university. So you're saying an hour and a half from Portland, and yeah. that's probably the. Cl We've always talked about it. If the University of Maine was in Portland, we'd probably yeah. still be there. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, because you're only an hour and a half then from Boston, yeah. and you're in a, a really cool city. Yep. Yeah, so I guess coming off of your Annapolis stay at the Naval Academy, you went to uh, came back home to be the assistant coach uh, at Boston College, huh? Yeah, that was a great opportunity. Um, one, to, we hadn't been home in a while, Angie and I, and had our first child, Cooper. So the opportunity to get back close to um, both grandparents, Angie's side and, and my mom, uh, only live about 45 minutes apart anyway, so that worked out great. It would have worked out better if we lived... Not in Worcester. My commute was an hour, but that was fine. Johnny and Donna Nelson were the nicest people in the world and let us 
We lived in Shrewsbury. We lived in Shrewsbury. It wasn't Worcester. We we make that specification. We were on the good side of the river or the lake or whatever (laughs) that thing was, Lake Quinsig. But uh, they were great. We We had an opportunity to stay in their house. You know, they were living in Florida, and it actually worked out great for us as a family. They would they would go down to Florida in September, October. That's then, when we lived with them. Yes. Because <laughs> I was living with Joanne at the time. So. Sorry about that. We kicked them out a little early. Uh, but And then they would come back in about April or May, and it would be right at the time where I'd start recruiting for the summer and be gone for – I mean, I would go to I would go to Georgia for – 20 straight days and that would just be one trip and then I'd come home for two or three days and then I'd go to California for a week so to have and we had our second child Camden and to have the help while I was gone of Johnny and Donna of our in-laws was a huge help for Angie so loved our stay at BC loved the the head coach there was uh, Mike Gambino who he and I have known each other since we were 19 we played against each other in college he went to Boston College. I went to Providence. Uh, they were rivals in the Big East back then. Obviously, we'd be on the road recruiting together. He was at Virginia Tech. Um, he was a scout for the Tigers for a while, and we'd always just see each other and talk to each other. And he got the opportunity to be the head coach at his alma mater. And I was fortunate enough that uh, he, I was one of the people in his mind of who could be a pitching coach there for him and a recruiting coordinator. And he and I had breakfast in Atlanta while we were both recruiting. And uh, the next day he called and said, let's do this. Let's get this done. So uh, got a chance. Again, I left that day yeah. uh, to go to BC. And uh, Angie packed up the uh, the place at Annapolis. Luckily, we already knew where we were moving to. She was the one that had to pack up the place and get everything moved up with the kids. And uh, I was already on the road recruiting. So, so was, now, was that I, now, that Annapolis this, now that I say this out loud, I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Up she I never go. knows what's going on until you just say, hey, we're going here. Hey, uh, so Cooper. Oh, by the way. <laughs> Cooper was born in Annapolis. And the reason why Camden is named what he is, is we had Camden when we were at Boston College. But when we when we were in Annapolis, we would go to Camden Yards to watch the Orioles for $5. They were terrible. Nice. And we would go all the time. Whenever we had a free day, we would go to Camden Yards and we would just go hang out and go with Cooper and... And one of the days we walked by and Angie said, it was Angie, Angie's named both of our kids. Uh, she said, I love the name Camden, boy yeah. or girl. The next one's Camden. And is Cooper after Cooperstown too? So is it I a baseball thing? Coop- okay. I, say Just Coopers- I say it's Cooperstown. Angie has a different story. I don't want to <laughs> say that story because I disagree with it a hundred percent, but here's a, here's a great one. And this was Angie as well. If we had a third and it was a girl, we were naming it Chatham after where I played Oh, in the cool. Cape League, okay. and then you guys I was agreed, like, but then agreed on something. But then I was like, then we have that creepy family that has the same letter for all the <laughs> oh, kids yeah, named yeah. like you know the same. <laughs> right. like, but we would have had a Cooper Camden and Chatham. So, okay. but yeah, I wanted to. I will be. Here's the true story. I wanted to name our first Ripken after Cal Ripken because he was my favorite player growing up. And she said, No, <laughs> you can name the dog Ripken. We're not that's naming true. our kid Ripken. And now she won't hey, even let me get a dog. I was just going to say, that sounds like an open ended invitation no. for a dog. <laughs> I now think she will Camden not let us. is a good compromise. <laughs> and probably she great. saved you on that one, yes. I think. Yes. This is Cooper, right? The first? <laughs> that was okay, Cooper. Yeah. Cooper so, so uh, yes. Yeah, so oh, then, okay, then I spent four years <laughs> in Boston College and uh, um, Camden was born there. So, yeah, four years um, of long commutes, long days. I would not trade it for the world, though. It was, yeah. I really, really enjoyed my time at Boston College. Nice. And people ask why we moved because, and again, this is not an ego thing. When you think about it, there's only 14 ACC schools, right? 
and there's only 16 SEC schools. So there's 30 top jobs in the country. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be a recruiting coordinator and pitching coach at, at one of them. And with a guy that I really liked. And the problem was is I had never seen Cooper or Camden play a baseball game, skate, do anything, because I was always on the road recruiting, and I was a terrible, terrible dad at the time. And when the job opened up at Asheville, it kind of opened our eyes, like maybe we should do something different. Um, Now, with that said, if we were living in Natick, Mass., or Newton, Mass., and our commute was only... 15 minutes, we'd probably still be there. But the sure. commute was a little bit without traffic because it was about an hour. And it's, it took me, the worst was two hours and 15 minutes to yeah, get home. There's so, never not traffic. Yeah. Really. yeah. So four years of that commute, it was tough. It yeah. was tough. Yep. Yeah. How four long have you been there at Asheville now? I've been in Asheville for eight years. This is going on eight years. Yes. Right, yep. So first head so, coaching gig. You first people. head coaching gig. Uh, we're very happy there. Um, had our best year in program history there. Last year we finished... Uh, third in conference and uh, first time in program history, 48 years that we had a conference record above 500. Oh, wow. uh, we ended up uh, 14 and nine in third place, tied for or in third place. So that was good. And we did it with a fairly young team. So hopefully if I don't fail miserably, but I've kept on them this fall uh, that we don't sit on our laurels and we can continue to build off of what we did last year. But that's, the transfer portal is a whole new ball game. Yeah. So, and that's a different topic if you want to get down that path. But that could be a whole nother show. Sure. Yeah. I don't even know if I completely understand. Although I know with football, it's is it new? Like the last few years, this whole thing. Okay. It's two years old. So you can go in the transfer portal whenever you want. Now, once you go in the transfer portal, that school doesn't have to have you come back. So, there was last year, the first year of the transfer portal, there was eleven hundred baseball players in the transfer portal still when the following year started. That means there was 1,100 players that played college baseball the year before, thought the grass was greener on the other side, went into the transfer portal and didn't have a place to go. Correct. So, yeah. We're we're still working our way through all this. And then those 1,100 kids, those schools didn't have to take them back. Correct. Even if they're on full scholarship or whatever the case is. Yep. Oh, boy. See you later. Wow. I wonder what percentage of those – got accepted back to their schools or if I were the coach of those yeah. schools zero yeah. you're basically telling me you don't want to you be here. here you don't yeah. want to yeah. play at our university you don't want to be around your teammates or you don't want to be me around me as a coach mm-hmm. any of those three means I don't want you back right probably yeah. not a great teammate <laughs> yeah. did you guys grab anybody off of oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can't smile enough <laughs> so I think the transfer portal is going to help schools like us now, it could hurt us as well because, you know, we could take a a guy that no one recruited out of high school or, you know, he chose us over other schools similar to us. Mm-hmm. And now, like, this is my fear with Robbie going to the Cape League. Does he go have a great Cape League and all of a sudden Miami says, hey, why don't you come play second base for us? Mm. Now, you hope that you are building the right culture in your own program that – he knows that we'll do anything for him and make sure he has everything available to get him to the next level. So I think that's where I think we're okay. We had the least amount of players in the transfer portal the last two years in the Big South. Nice. Um, and that's I'm proud of because we're getting better and we're the guys want to be there as a part of it. But on the flip side, if a kid from a power five maybe only threw 15 innings 
we recruited him out of high school, but he didn't choose us. Now we have a chance to get him back. And usually those guys understand it isn't always greener on the other side. Like the mm-hmm. bigger isn't always better. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, I got a chance to play. Maybe I don't have yeah. as nice of a stadium to play in, but I'm going to be playing and I need to play in order to be seen. If someone so, is taken off the transfer portal and they don't want to go to the school that took them or selected them. Well, no, no, no. They get to choose where they go. Oh, okay. They get to choose. So, for instance, we we just got a kid from um, another in-state school, uh, Elon University, and he, it came down to Illinois, us, um, and there was a third school, and he chose us over those other schools. Um and really, he chose us because he knew he had a chance to play right away and impact our right. program as well. Right. So I think it, it can help us. The second part of it is, is if we can get a 20-year-old guy versus a 17-year-old kid, there's usually a 20 to 25-pound difference there, mm-hmm. maturity-wise. Mm-hmm. And there's already some experience. We'll take that. So in the past, we used to recruit 9 or 10 high school kids every year. Now what we're going to do is what we've been doing is we've been recruiting six high school kids and we save four spots for transfers and JUCOs and just try to add that older maturity a little bit every class. Sure. Now I've also one of my very good friends in this business said he will never recruit a high school kid again. He is just making his whole team up off the transfer portal because the reason why he's doing it is one, he can get, you can get players, but number two is once they transfer, once they can't transfer again. I was going to ask you that. Can you? So he doesn't want to happen. Get a player good, and then they leave you. Mm-hmm. Yep. But see, I, I disagree with that because if you have the right culture, that kid's not going to leave you anyway. Yep. Correct. Yep. If you treat him the right way and do everything you can, they're not going to leave. Right. They're going to fight for you. So yeah, one one thing you mentioned about uh, you know going to a nicer stadium, and one thing that the stories that I hear from Joanna. Is you host a baseball night yes. up there to raise money for this for the for the team, and you, you've done a hell of a transformation to the field as it is, um, you know. And I, I know you have great guests that come in as well, like you yep. get some of the connections. So, I mean, I, I think that's one thing. Like you, you mentioned, like your school going, you know, UNC Asheville getting the best record in what forty eight years. Yep. You know, you're also showing it in the you know the facilities as well. So yeah, we're getting there. Um, and our athletic director Janet Cohn has been very supportive of it. Um, you know, we're not a baseball school, and I'm okay saying that we are a basketball school. Um, you know, and, and people that don't that don't agree with that, they're they're crazy. Um, we need our basketball teams to be good in order for all of our programs to be good, and I'm okay saying that. Um, and you support the other teams too. Oh, I've heard you yeah. s- stories about basketball games, vo- women's volleyball, oh, right? Yeah. You got yep. you support all the teams there. So for some reason, my boys love the women's volleyball <laughs> team. I don't know why they love going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no, we uh, we try to support all the programs. Um, you know, we will go to as many soccer games as possible. We kind of have a tradition in our family. We always go down to the UNC Asheville Wofford game every year down in Wofford. It's about an hour away in Spartanburg and that's how they kick off their year every year and we're always there to support them for their first game and we try to do as much as we can and you know we I think more of us as coaches as student athletes we need to continue to support each other because those are the people that's going to be coming to our games you know if we can if we can get ourselves out we need to do a better job of going to a, a play something in the drama department or in the art department and maybe we can start swinging them out to a baseball game and uh <laughs> We've had some facility upgrades. We got a ways to go. We've got some new things. We've got three major projects left that we got to continue to fundraise for, um, and that's kind of what I've been doing a lot. Unfortunately, I didn't know this. Um, 
Ronald Reagan said it, you have your known knowns, your known unknowns, and your unknown unknowns. <laughs> and one of the unknown unknowns was, as a head coach, the lack of time you are on the field versus the time you are recruiting or fundraising and doing the administrative work. You know, it's about 80-20, unfortunately, now, with wow. 20% on the field, and I would just love to spend, whereas an assistant coach, I would, at, I would literally go on the field at 10 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock at night, and I would take a call occasionally if I'm doing something, but it was just constantly working with the guys. Well, now I have two amazing assistants they're on the field from 10 yeah. to so I'm in the office literally by myself from 10 to, you know, 10 to 2.30 waiting to go out yeah. of the field. But, you know, you got your meetings, your fundraising and all those compliance meetings that you got to do. I kind of miss being the assistant sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> you know, we get into this job. It's not for money. It's because we love what you do. And now you're just doing less and less of it and you get more and more of the paperwork. Yeah. So, yeah. but. It is what it is. Yeah. So, Sorry, it made a hell of a lot of progress. Well, you have new turf, right? New turf. Uh, we got new. Or, we got new grass. Like we did. A, uh, we redid our whole field. We would like right. turf, but we uh, we haven't raised that one point two million yet. So, uh, if, Larry, where's your wallet? <laughs> if I hear you've been doing a heck of a job with rims this year. I know one point two million. But. There's a lot of stadiums named after banks. Okay. Do you know anybody in banking around I, here? I don't want to name drop any bank names because I don't want to put that type of pressure on anyone. So, uh, no, but um, hopefully we can find someone in Nashville that. Uh, yeah, let's get a like brewery that wants to buy the naming rights. So here's yeah. the funny story. <laughs> I and I, I, being the naive one, said, we got 35 breweries in Nashville. We're the largest microbrewery city in the country. I'm like, how do we not get one of these Highland Brewing, who is a sponsor of the university? How do we not want. And I sat down with them and. They, they made a very smart call. They're like, Scott, 75% of the people on your campus can't drink. Under 21. They're yeah. under 21. Why would we, do, we don't want to, we don't want to be the one encouraging them to drink. Yes, we do. And I'm like, I've never thought of it from that point. So yeah, so it's not going to be a brewery. We got to find a different route. All right. So fair enough. But Highland Brewing is very good. Back to the banks. <laughs> Back to the banks. <laughs> is that where you host your brewery? Uh, your brewery night, your baseball night? I Some guess brewery, night, brewery night. Yeah. So our baseball night is held there. Um, they are a great sponsor for our university and our, our um, athletic department and our baseball program. They donate the room yep. to us. And you're having one right now? And I'm having a Highland beer, a Highland cold yeah. mountain right now. I'm okay saying that. Um, but yeah, they uh, we've had some very amazing uh, guest speakers in the past. Can you name drop I can name drop. Uh, yeah. We had uh, all-star closer Greg Holland. We've had uh, Taco Bell stolen base champ Cameron Maben of the New York Yankees. We've had um, uh, Chris Narvison. We've had um, two of my former players from the Naval Academy who both made it to the big leagues. Uh, Oliver Drake, uh, who just retired from the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, Mitch Harris, who made it to the big leagues uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals, both spoke. Uh, Mike Schilt, the former uh, manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who is also a UNC Asheville grad. You guys will be the first to hear it on this. I wasn't going to name drop, but we're doing it. Uh, Tim Kirkshen, uh, ESPN announcer and Hall of Famer, last year is going to be our guest speaker this year. Awesome. So we're fired up. He's an amazing storyteller. Sure. So we just got to get him a couple good questions, kind of like you guys are doing today. Uh, I might hire you guys out and uh, be our MCs <laughs> for baseball night and hire and it, get man. some good questions. Know. Larry and myself in a brewery may not be as productive. Yeah. I can pay you in beer. 
You know what? So, okay. So, so, yeah. I'll be a trip so, to Asheville. We'll be there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, uh, so we're looking forward to that event. Yeah. yeah I'd awesome. be looking yeah. forward to that too, man. Tim yeah. Kirk, Sometime Tim in J- January, right? J- uh, Friday, January 20th at Highland awesome. Brewing. Yep. So, awesome. we're, we're looking forward to it. So, yep. it's a great but event it's, every year, though. I mean, it's, it's a great event every year. Um, the speakers are amazing because I, I talk to a lot of other people where they go, we've never had to pay a speaker to come in. They've always been willing just to do it to help out the program. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the two that played for me at the Naval Academy, there's a relationship there. Um, Mike Schilt went to UNC Asheville, but um, Cameron Mabin and Greg Holland actually both live in Asheville. Um, so that was great. Greg Holland was injured in 2017, had Tommy John surgery, um, and actually rehabbed with our team for uh, 18 straight months and then signed the deal with the with the Rockies and was an all-star that next year. Yeah. So he's always been uh, an amazing friend uh, to our program and um, always comes out to hang out with the guys too. So just a really good dude. As as country, as he just, I think he would not, he would rather not play baseball and just go hunting and fishing 24-7. <laughs> he's just, you would never know that guy is an all-star closer. He doesn't act like it. He just, he's just a regular guy that, Happens to be able to throw a baseball 98 miles right. an hour nice. with a really good slider. Right. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so. I love hearing stories, too, about guys that just, you know, these people aren't coming and doing these events looking for any publicity. They're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart, trying to help the next guy down the line, yep. the next generation of baseball players. And, Larry, when you say that, like, I just got chills, the best part of the night is when the night is over and you go around. Our guys clean up after the event. It's sure. part of their job. And they're sitting around a table and that guest speaker's just chilling and talking to them yeah. about stories and you know what's it like in double a what's it like in the big leagues this and they will be there and we're getting kicked out at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> but you don't want to rush them because that's kind of what you do it for right those those experiences you have the value of their they're bringing people to your event and you're going to make money off of it but then there's that added value to what they're giving your players Correct. too which is you know amazing just yeah. totally the whole total package you absolutely know? So. They've had a couple drinks too. Yeah, usually <laughs> start players, coming out. Yeah. Not the players. <laughs> yeah, no, twenty five percent of them can. Right? <laughs> only the good twenty five percent. So I think you mentioned a few of them being really big fans of Asheville as a city, and I know you are as well. You finally uh, you got the, the house built. You yep. you moved in, which is awesome. And yep. uh, you know, so, but uh, you know. We've been there a few times, Joanna and myself, and uh, love love the area. And I know you guys are big proponents of it. So, um, you know, we've talked about the breweries, uh, yep. <laughs> which are unbelievable as well. But I, I know there's so many other places there. Uh, you get a, uh, what's it, the Orange Peel for concerts, just a legendary venue. You walk yep. by that, there's posters on the wall. I mean, we're talking huge acts that have played in a very small venue. Very small. So it's just a legendary place. Yes. Um, I was actually looking today, seeing if there's anything coming up. <laughs> yep. Have you seen any anybody in that? Uh, we saw a 90s cover band once in there. Uh, we saw a comedian in there. There are a lot of comedians any, coming up. Stefano's coming up. Uh, really? Um, Mark Marin's coming up. Yeah. Uh, Menescalco. What's uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Menescalco? Yeah, 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 he's yeah, coming yeah. up. So, yeah, we do a little bit of everything. We saw, um, there's also one called Rabbit Rabbit um, in, right in downtown Asheville. It's an outdoor venue in the middle of a city. Yeah. It's really cool. And we saw Marin Morris there. 
Uh, we went out to that concert. So there's, nice. there's just, it, I think they get a lot of good names there because a lot of people want to stop in Asheville yeah. uh, during their concert tour. Right. Um, and it's spend a night or two in Asheville and hang out with their families and, and do a couple different different you know, you get the Biltmore, you get the Grove Park in, you get all the touristy trap stuff. But, um, you know, there's a, just a lot of things, a lot of hiking to do yep. and a lot of breweries to get to. And it's a, it's, it's a very artsy outdoor activity, great food. There's just a lot of things to do for everybody. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's just not beer. There's also cider. So yes, <laughs> well, no, I was going to explain your fa- one of your favorite pizza places, what Fahrenheit. So I think Larry Jeez. would love this, right? So yeah. this is remember this the is place we used to go <laughs> Fahrenheit Stadium. Okay. There we go. Oh, there we go. Everybody so loves pizza. It's similar to uh, like the Oak and Stone we have down here, poor, where you have uh, your bracelet or your card. I don't know what it is. It's like, card. Yep. So and they have what microbreweries on tap, oh. and it's a pizza place where it's great pizza. And then you have just add the card that you're getting your beer, and then you get pizza right there. And it's yep. you pour your own drinks <laughs> yes, the whole night. Is. I love it. So yeah. let's go. And then when you when you become a regular, occasionally your card gets shut off when you're drinking too much. <laughs> but when you're a regular, you just go to the owner, and he just fixes yeah, the card somehow. You. Yes. So we, uh, <laughs> I actually have one of the cards in here in my there wallet that yeah. we're supposed to return. I'm like, why would I return? I'm going to use it next week. Right. I'm going to so, need this again. But yeah, it was. Um, it was the only pizza place, and you know when you have kids and you you're not always home early for dinner. You got to sometimes find a place. It's the only. It was the closest pizza place that that reminded us of home. Yeah. You know, it was it was yeah. like a New York, New England, Boston style pizza. Well, that's uh, hard to find outside. It is, sometimes. and come to find out that the owner and his son went to New York for nine months to study on how to do it the awesome. right way, and then nice. they brought it back down here. And then the wings are phenomenal. So. We we crush food from the fair. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really. Good. I think family celebrations, right? It's it's uh, like Olive Garden there. or Fahrenheit, right? That's yeah. it. Always Fahrenheit. I know it's not your Camden is Olive Garden. <laughs> Everybody right. else is Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, breadsticks all day long. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Our version of that is Oak and Stone, like you said. And that's yeah. my one gripe with them is their pizza. They try to do like fancy. Yeah. Pizza. I'm yeah, not a just, big fan of their pizza. No, just. Just learn the basics. And just, yeah. Yeah. Let me better. scan my yep. badge here. Let <laughs> yep. me keep pouring myself beers. Yep. And it's funny. I said the same thing about baseball players. Simple is better. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all the fancy stuff, launch angle stuff doesn't work. Uh, how do you feel about all of that? Like, I had a lot of baseball questions for you. Let's do it. All these new analytics. I don't know what our time is, and, but let's do it. Uh, yeah, so, okay. So here's what I think. I think analytics is a part of the game. I think it took over the game for about a eight-year span. Yeah, yeah. And now we're going back to baseball again. Good. With the shift, getting rid of the shift, um, and those types of things, I think we're getting away, getting back to baseball again. Yeah, baseball is not played on paper, and it seems like that's where we were trying to go. Yep. You know. <laughs> and it seems like more and more sports are trying to do it, and it's Ooh. not working out. Right. I think baseball is the – baseball, and I would say maybe basketball – are the only two because if you and I was listening to a podcast about that about how analytics is getting into basketball because the three point yeah. is a lot more important now than the right. and that's why no one shoots two pointers anymore. They'd mm-hmm. rather a guy shoot thirty percent three pointers than fifty percent two pointer. In the long run, we're going to score more points. So I'm like, <laughs> well, okay, but I guess that doesn't make it very fun to watch. Yeah. You know, so and that's um, kind of where we're going with basketball. Yes. So I, I think 
baseball is going to come back a little bit full circle. Uh, and I think that's kind of the beauty of the college game mm. is that, yes, we do shifts, but it's not because of analytics. It's, you know, we've watched a couple videos. It looks like this guy's going to pull a lot mm -hmm. of the pitch and we'll go, we'll do it. But we're also, we're also 18 to 22 years old. We, our guys always don't put their pitch where they want it either. Right. So there's a lot more mistakes. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, that there's yeah. why are we throwing the ball over there when we're shifting them to, you know, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. sometimes the variables not, don't work in your yeah. favor. Correct. <laughs> you know, so the shifts sometimes backfire on us because we just, we don't execute a pitch. Um, and I think the second part is it's hard to put analytics into a 56-game season versus 162. Sure. Their number, their data is they have a whole lot more of it. Right. Where we can't, we don't have the time for that. They have people among people just, yes. that's all they do. You know, we only have three coaches. And yeah. we got to plan hotels and plan meals too. Right. Never mind worry about data, you know, so... I, I think the, the college game is still pure. Would you consider yourself kind of like an old school baseball guy or some new school or kind of somewhere in the middle? I, I, I don't And, and in, I'll, give, I'll See, add context to the like, question. I don't like that question because that reminds me of, oh, kids these days. No, no, no. You know what I mean? Like yeah. kids, kids these days and kids our age were the were, – the answers to our parents too, <laughs> right. you know, like we were punk still. Like, right. so I understand what you mean by old school versus new school. Um, is it a purist I, versus a, I would, I would say, well, I, what I would say is the difference nowadays is the way that we have to treat the player because social media, they have other options, um, mental health, which was all back then, but coaches didn't seem coaches to care about it. Something, yeah, <laughs> it was on their radar. Yeah. So I think. We, yeah, what would happen if you were in college and oh, you said, hey, coach, I want to transfer? I need a mental day. <laughs> I need a mental day. Sure, take one and then take the other. <laughs> yes. Take the rest of the week <laughs> and next month off. You get 364 <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind that, too. <laughs> exactly. You, you just Wally pipped yourself. So. <laughs> yeah. um, and when you apply that to, you know, back in the old days, yep. you hit a guy. Yep. You know, pitcher hits a guy, the next inning, one yep. of your guys is getting plunked. So uh, then, yes, I am old school. Yeah. Because I talk to our players about it. Yeah. When I talk to them in the recruiting process about it, like if a guy hits a home run off of you, drops his bat and runs around the bases, it better be strike one to the next one. Mm -hmm. If a guy spikes your second baseman on a double play, I better not be the one to tell you where the next pitch has to go. <laughs> it, it, you have to protect each other. Right. And that's where I think we kind of talked about the less people in the transfer portal. Like, I want them to protect each other and care about each other. So where would you fall, you know, as an old school or, or new school manager? Purist. Purist. Yeah, we got we to word this better, I guess. Um, you know, That's the problem. There's no word for it. <laughs> right. <Yeah>, there's... <laughs> It's right or wrong. Uh, exactly. And, and it, it's not. It's great. It's open it's to interpretation yes. for sure. Yeah. So the unwritten rules, I, I understand what people are saying. But then I also played for a guy and then coached for him for 10 years and loved him, still do, um, that basically would say, well, if, if you don't want him doing that against you, then don't allow him to do it. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't want them – Celebrating up ten nothing, then don't right. be down ten nothing. You know, yeah. so 
play better, be better. That's, that's like the NFL thing about if you don't want them dancing in your end zone, Stop. don't let them score yeah. a touchdown. Yeah. So, but there are some things um, I think are, you know, I think I think baseball right now is in a very very good place. I really do. I mean, the players are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you turn on a TV, there's not a guy that throws a pitch under ninety five miles an hour right. you know 15 20 years ago you had a guy that was throwing 95 and you thought he was the greatest thing ever mm-hmm. um you know so the game has just changed and i think the game has changed in a positive way as far as the way that we are celebrating the players and kind of allowing them to be themselves sure right mm-hmm. now do players take it too too far probably so we got to kind of there's again there's that gray area or that time where we just have to figure out what the right what the right thing is exactly um you know, you, you mentioned it, or, or Cooper, my son is in the background, mentioned, who was it, Batista, that swung 3-0 when they were up 8-0? Uh, I forget yeah, who it was. Yeah. But, or Tatis or whoever yeah, it was. It's like seventh yeah. inning, you're up seventh eight. Inning, they were up eight runs. And yeah, 3-0 count. Correct. So, you know, maybe you don't swing there. But don't be down eight runs and don't be 3-0 to probably right. one of the best players in baseball. And yeah. why is it? He's fighting for his next contract too, so it's right. He's putting line. numbers. Don't on they the have paper. incentives too? Like, Correct. you know, what if he has thirty yeah. home 30 runs, runs and then and he, you're gonna, he gets stuck on twenty nine? I mean, you're going to tell a guy yeah. to turn down a million dollars because he can't swing three out, right? You know, so I think it's it's a hard line, and I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think there are some things like when it comes to protecting your players, then yes, hmm. you know, we just talked about it. A guy goes spikes up on your shortstop or on your second baseman on a double play, yeah, you got to protect your, your middle infielder. Right. You know, um, a pitcher on the other team throws at one of your players, you got to protect your player. Sure. I don't always agree with throwing at a player when they may celebrate a home run. Yeah, you know, I mean, some guys, get, they get a little, uh, like you they said, do, but, they get a little exuberant. <laughs> but 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 the guy on deck shouldn't get hit for that. No. We should wait for <laughs> yeah. that guy to come wait up again. Wait for that guy to come up again. Yeah, that's, that was the problem I had with the old school was we we drilled the next guy. Like, <laughs> shit. Like, Unless you're Pedro, you drill that guy, and then when he comes around again, you drill yeah, the exa- guy. Exactly, and then you take out Don Zimmer. You know, I, I, I think we're missing too. a camera yeah. angle here where you should actually focus on the guy on deck when the guy's dancing. No around. kidding. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. He's like, ah, oh, damn. So, <laughs> I played with a guy who was a first-round pick out at Providence College. He batted third, and I hit right behind him fourth. And he was that guy. He would hit a home run and literally walk forty-five to fifty feet. And I'm looking, and I'm going, "Oh, son, here comes like, another bruise. This is gonna hurt. Like, just get me somewhere good again. Like, yeah. hit me in the butt. I don't care. But yeah, so I, I, I don't like the hit the next guy rule. Like, yeah. if you if you're pissed off, and well, here's the thing. If you're the pitcher and you're around to face that guy again, then drill him. Yeah. But odds are you're probably not going to be around again to face <laughs> yeah. that guy. And Giving then, up bombs. And yeah. that's what I don't like sometimes, too, is they wait for like three weeks later like yeah. uh, to hit a guy. Come on, man. Like that was – he had yeah. a home run in March against you. Yes. It's June. <laughs> like some of that stuff I don't always agree yeah. with. So. Yeah. And then with pro ball, like the MLB seems to mess with the baseball. I don't know how much it'll, it'll, you'll go from dead ball era to where they uh, they do something with the baseball construction. Oh yeah! To now absolutely. all of a sudden there's 80 home runs a week. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's dead ball. They're wound differently. Yeah. They're it's like, tight. What, what yeah. are we doing here? Yep. And I and I I found this out too. And you guys probably already knew it. I didn't. They make different balls for the home run derby. Yeah. So they go further. So you know it's a it's a show. Yeah. It's an act. Yeah, you know. That's all it is. So. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire hitting balls out of Fenway until, you know. There's a good, uh, fun ra- there's a good fundraiser idea for you. you a go. home run derby. For the- <laughs> He's like, yeah, so I feel like our pitchers used them last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was actually, I got a good, hopefully this, this doesn't blow up your recruiting secrets. But there was a great family uh, recruiting story. I'll let you explain this. How about that? Because I'm just tripping all of us. Can we cut this? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we can. I'm but, assuming we're talking no, about... An MLB player yes. on the Yankees was yes. part of their rotation. Okay. And uh, the reason why he went to Boston College yes. uh, is pretty interesting. <laughs> so you guys have already heard the stories. You know, Angie does a lot of stuff behind the scenes and um, with our job, we're obviously moving on everywhere. We're going all the time. And a lot of things happen on our bir- on her birthdays, things like that. So we are, it's Angie's birthday. She is uh, about six months pregnant. This is April Fool's, right? She's <laughs> yep. She's about six months, five months pregnant. It is freezing cold in Rhode Island, raining. It's about 40 degrees. And I said, hey, hon, why don't we go to Providence for dinner tonight? <laughs> She's like, what? I go, she goes, why? I said, well, because I got to go to a game at Bishop Hendrickin. I still remember Bishop Hendrickin out of Rhode Island is playing Severian out of uh, Massachusetts, two private schools. And I needed to see the pitcher, a kid named Austin Dakar. Uh, I still remember the name that I was going to see. Uh, he is pitching for Severian. I said, and after that game, I said, honey, he's only supposed to throw three or four innings and, and then we'll go to dinner. We'll have a nice dinner in Providence. And, you know, we'll go to the, the north side. So she's like, okay. She agrees to it. So it's freezing. And, of course, the typical perfect husband I am, she sits on the bleachers and I go walking around. I can't stand still at a game. I don't have to be behind home plate or anything like that. I just need to be watching different angles and watching how he interacts with players and the whole nine yards. So he doesn't have a very good day. And we're, we're in about the fourth inning, and I – and I looked at her and I said, hey, let's go. I said, I don't need to see any more. And the kid ended up being very good. He went somewhere else. He just didn't come to Boston College. And I think he ended up at Duke University. Just had a bad day that day. It happens. And Angie looks at me and she goes, what about the kid throwing in the bullpen behind us? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I just heard this, the glove. And I turned around. And unbeknownst to me, a sophomore, Michael King, is warming up in the bullpen for Bishop Hendrickson, and I saw two pitches, and I looked at her, I said, hey, could we stay like a couple more innings? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And she literally at that point, she goes, yeah. And she goes, I'm not going to Providence for dinner. Can we just go home and go to the local lakeside, <laughs> yeah. lakeside right, in Shrewsbury? Yeah. And she goes, I just want to go home. And I'm like, all right. So we ended up watching three more innings in the pouring rain. Um, Michael King stepped foot on campus three days later. And verbally committed to Boston College about 10 days later. And we, if it were up to me, we would have been in Providence uh, having a nice Italian dinner. But she was the one keeping her eyes open and watching him. So uh, after he committed to Boston College, Angie and I were with his parents um, on campus for an event. And we told him the true story. And and (laughs) Angie and um, Michael King's mom has become very friendly because of that. They always talk. And Angie is the reason why we got Michael King. And come to find out, uh, five years after that, he was drafted in, I think, the 11th round by the Yankees. And He's an important uh, role in their pitching staff. I think he got hurt this year. If you notice, they went down the second he got hurt. He kind of held that bullpen because he could go two innings, he could go one inning and come right back. It was was really good. He was a really good player. So that team 
at Providence, uh, Boston College, we had two first-rounders. Chris Shaw made it to the big leagues with San Francisco. Justin Dunn is currently in the big leagues with Cincinnati. Mike King uh, is with New York. And then we had seven other players drafted off of those teams, off of that wow, one team. Nice. Yeah, they were really good. They were really good. <laughs> yeah, a good group of guys, too. The moral of that story, though, is guys' wives' heads are always on the Oh, swivel. they're always on a swivel. They're, they're, not looking, they're not looking at us, either. <laughs> yeah, because she could have easily been, I'm hungry, I'm yeah. cold, I don't want to stay. Six months pregnant, get me out of yeah. here. She's watched enough baseball yeah. that she knows what, what good is. Yeah. It's hard to explain it, honestly. Like, it really is. Like, you just know it when you see it. Yeah. Um, it was funny. When we first moved to Asheville, there was an event going on on our field. I had no idea who these people were. I just took Cooper... There one day, the very first day we had, and the, the person running this whole thing starts smoozing me. And he's trying to sell me on all these players. And they were terrible. And he goes, he goes, what do you think? And I go, Cooper. Cooper was five, I believe, at the time. No joke, five. I go, Cooper, who's the best player on this team? He goes, number seven, the shortstop. I go, you're damn right he is. And you <laughs> haven't brought his name up to me. Why not? Well, we think he's a little too good for you. I said, well, then you're not good enough for me. Just like, I'm like, screw this. Like, wow. we're trying to change something here. Yeah. But you just know good what good looks like. You right. know, you can't always yeah. put a, it's not a stop. We talked about the analytics. Like, yeah. it's not necessarily velocity or a stopwatch. It's, is he a baseball player? Right. And that's what those guys at Boston College were. They were just, ba- Justin Dunn, people laughed at us. At Mike Gamino and I, we signed him as a sophomore in high school throwing 81 miles an hour. 81. Three years later, his sophomore year was hitting 94. And he was 5'9". We were talking about Pedro. He's 5'9", and he was 160 pounds. But when you saw his arm work, it was amazing. You just knew he was going to grow into it. Yes, and his dad was also 6'5". And you just hoped he got his dad's (laughs) height. Look at those genes. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the Mike King story. And I love telling that story, but it also tells me that anyone could do my job. (laughs) So... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think you had, you had br- mentioned uh, your son Cooper on this. So, um, yep. you know, and you're also very supportive of your sons in coaching. So, I mean, you've coached at high levels. You've played at high levels. I mean, yeah. any advice for um, young parents getting, you know, <laughs> I'm not a parent. I, I Thank God. I mean, thank, the world thinks that I'm not. But um, any advice to young parents about getting their kids into that? I mean, it, you know. <clears throat> They seem to enjoy it, which is awesome. And I'm fortunate enough that they have coaches that they love um, that have all played. So I really just want to be supportive of them. Um, if you ever come to one of our games, Angie and I are sitting in left field by ourselves and just watching. But it's kind of cool when Cooper or Camden say, Dad, can you help at practice? That's kind of cool. So like a lot of times we'll just help out at practice, throwing BP, hitting fungos, doing whatever. I try not to coach them as much as I try to coach the other the other kids on the team. Now, the other part, too, is they also come in around our team all the time. Right. I mean, Cooper last year at age 12 played second base for us during two inner squads because our second baseman was hurt. I mean, at, at tw- and carried, held his own, well. you know. So it's like he, you know, they grew up around this. They just, it is what it is. And they don't mind with me coaching them um they see me how i am with our players they know that at least i hope they know this that i am very animated when i coach i'm passionate about it It doesn't mean i'm yelling at you i just i want you to get better and and we gotta 
we got to get good. And you got a lot of knowledge behind that too. So it's not like you're sometimes <laughs> <laughs> on sometimes. that, on that vein though, have you ever been thrown out of a game? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Several or oh yeah, oh, we, yeah. Get, we get the ESPN oh, yeah. Plus. We'll watch some of the UNC oh, yeah. Asheville college games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got thrown out of Elon. Cooper was there as our bat boy. I got thrown out of Elon on purpose. We were just we were in a it was like a three to two ball game, and I'm like, we have a chance to win this game, and we're just flat. Yeah. And I got thrown out in the sixth inning on a terrible call that I shouldn't have got thrown out on, but I would. I literally got thrown out in two seconds. I just needed to get thrown out. <laughs> Sometimes so, it's just to motivate yeah, your team. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I got thrown out at Florida State. I've been thrown out at Campbell. And a lot of it is for just to try to motivate the players or defend a player. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if a, I don't ever want a player to get thrown out, I would rather much rather get thrown out myself. And um, so I try not to. I haven't been thrown out at home lately because we now have instant replay. That can be a game changer. Oh, sure. Right? When we can just, you know, put the heads to the ear, the hands to the ear, like, go look at that again. Yeah. You are terrible. Look at that call. You <laughs> missed it again. <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, no, I, I don't mind getting thrown out. My AD doesn't like it when I get thrown out, but yeah. it is what it is. It's part of the game. There's a time and a place, right? Exactly. I try to do I'm sure you have one a year, year, never more than one a year. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure you have a, a great reason anytime. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I guess that leads into possibly the next story, uh, the competitive juices. So um, one thing uh, in being supportive of your, your kids, uh, you know, I think uh, we were hosting for a holiday one time at Joanna, my, my townhome, two stories, and um, Scott made up this game. We had a couple cats at the time, and we had their little, uh, you know, go, uh, like play golf balls or something like that, little cat toys. Yep. So the whole game... Should I explain this or should I let you explain it? Since you invented this, you should patent this. Yeah. So this was, <laughs> and it got renamed Scott Ball. I think it was Stairball. Stairball. And I, you know, it wasn't ego. I'm good with Stairball. <laughs> it got renamed after so, we So, yeah, after, yeah. oh, it turned into. Because it kept playing. Oh, my daughter's played it. No, they haven't. <laughs> yeah. I forgot this got re... So, yeah, if you want to explain the okay. children's version, because yes. we turned it into, into a, a drinking, drinking game. game which <laughs> you always do. Yeah. You people without children, it always turns into a... Trivial Pursuit <laughs> turns into a drinking game with you so, guys. Yeah, it's like a Nerf ball is what so it is. a Nerf, a Nerf ball. ball about the size of a golf ball. Okay, so for those that have children, or even those that just have company and you're bored, <laughs> and you're like, we got to do something. Like, this is just... We got to kill some time. So... Um, Cooper and Camden and I went over to the stairs, and we they ended up having about five of these little Nerf balls. Uh, their stairwell at the time was probably 14 or so, yeah. 15 steps high, so it was yeah. pretty good. So the goal was to get the ball to stop on the highest step without going onto the main level of the second floor. And it was like golf. Mm-hmm. You'd go for the lowest score possible. Mm-hmm. So the first, ro- the first row was one, two, three, and on your way down. And I think it was like after six, it was just this shot sucks. You're done. <laughs> so Cooper, Camden, and I literally played like 18 holes. And we just started laughing. We were having a great time. And then all of a sudden, Matt came and goes, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, well, here's the game. And all of a sudden, Joanna came over. What are you guys doing? Here's the game. And all of a sudden, we had like eight or nine people playing. There were, there were turns. We had like foursomes and play their nine holes. And then we'd have to come up. And we turned into Scott Ball. And I don't know. We... Oh, it's a stair ball. This was still stair ball. Stair ball. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Stair ball. It didn't turn into Scott Ball until like two weeks later. Yes. Until I was gone. Like... You showed your brother, like, hey, yeah. we got to show this game right. we made up. Like, mm-hmm. So if you are 
I don't know. It's just how I grew up. I'd rather do something competitive that you have a chance to win Mm -hmm. and let them as kids always be competing. I'd rather do that than just sit around and, you know, hey, let's try to put a ball on a stair. No, no, no. Let's find out who's the best at putting this ball on that top (laughs) stair right now. You know, so, you know, we've probably played already 40 games of ping pong since we've been down here. And you're sending out backyard Olympics. uh, We're doing the backyard Olympics. We got cornhole, ping, uh, ping pong. What's that game with the, the, called redneck horseshoes is that redneck horseshoes uh, <laughs> ladder ball i ladder guess ball, yes <laughs> ladder ball and then we have another one called washers uh that we, yeah. we brought down washers as well. is good too. so yeah. we're going to play the backyard olympics tomorrow like yeah. I, if you have a chance to compete let's compete yeah, i'm 100 percent on board with <laughs> yeah. that yeah. and if you turn it into a drinking game it turns into a yeah. drinking game so just no one loses. i'm on board with that too <laughs> just to give you the the side version that happened two weeks later had a group of friends come down and uh, my brothers as well and uh, we turned the it's it was the same premise. Yep. But if you got it over the top ledge, it was the walk of shame. So you made them walk up after it, and then it turned into once we had a few more beers, <laughs> you got to throw the ball like everybody had a, a Nerf ball in their hand. So on the way up, you could wing it as hard as you could at them. So there's a little punishment <laughs> yes. for going over the top. That is a walk too. of shame. And then oh. it, then it turned into Scott ball. And now when my friends come down, they actually they were pissed. They they came down here like. You guys bought a damn ranch. It's one story. There's no freaking stairs. Like we can't play Scott ball, and they're, they're all pissed at it. So. I'm gonna figure out a way to get this done. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, no, no, that's yeah. Scott ball. So time to go ahead and patent that. Yeah. Well, Scott, man, uh, I appreciate you doing this. this was it was awesome. fun sitting down and kind of learning about your past. I've heard you were an interesting guy, and you know, Joanna said it best. Where we want to talk to interesting people because we're not that interesting. Yep. So, so there we go. Bullshit. This is awesome. <laughs> this is great. This is great. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah. thanks for doing, it, man, and, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Are you?